hour in, we'll do intermission, let everybody get a bathroom break, some water, and then we'll we'll jump into part two. If you're a visitor, I'm I'm kidding. I will be as as short as I know how to be. Um, we were out with the flu for two weeks, so we're really, really glad to be back. Um, yeah, it's more stressful for me not being here than being here. So I'm, I'm really, really, really glad to be back in the, in the house. A couple of announcements. One, obviously, if you're a visitor, we're not typically decorated like this. We have Vacation Bible School kicking off tomorrow. It'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's going to be from 6.30 to 8.30. If you're a worker, we're going to ask you to get here around 6 o'clock just so we can kind of get everything ready to go. We're going to have a quick huddle, like 5, 10 minutes after service, just to make sure we, everybody knows where to be tomorrow. All right. Uh, if you're coming, even if you're not like have a specific role, we encourage all of our members to show up, float around, see how things are going, interact with the kids. Uh, what we'll be doing is each day of the week, since it's a sports theme, is uh, wearing different sports gear. So tomorrow is Monday, which means wear your favorite basketball team stuff. So Chicago Bulls stuff should be everywhere, right? Yep. If anybody needs to borrow Chicago Bulls stuff, I have about 20 jerseys. Just let me know. I can bring them. That... <laughs> James, I have the mic. Be quiet, please. Thank you. <laughs> um, actually, the Kawhi Leonard jerseys are very cheap right now. Very cheap. So Spurs fans, you can pick those up for like $5 at Academy. All right. <laughs> so then Tuesday will be football, uh, Wednesday baseball, Thursday soccer, and then Friday uh, any shirt you want or a Harmony shirt if you have one. So it's going to be a fun week. Uh, but again, after service, if you want to hang out for just five, ten minutes, we'll sync up and make sure we're all good to go for tomorrow. If you haven't registered your children yet, you can see Miss Diane here and she'll get you a form. Or you can go to our website, HarmonyChurchSA.org, and the registration form is on the website as well. All right, so big thing, VBS this week. All right, hope you're geared up. Um, other big thing is it's July. We didn't put this in the newsletter, but that means at the end of the month, we have a fifth Sunday. So we will have family worship. That's where Spanish service, English service, and the children's church are all together in the sanctuary together. Afterwards, we'll do a family meal, and I'll talk to you guys about some of the updates that are happening at the building. So again, keep that in mind for fifth Sunday that's coming up. Alan, did you have something? I just want to point out on the banner for the years, it's a serving and it does take you to the same website. Yes. So on the banners, you also see the servinginharmony.org. You can go to that website as well. They're all the same uh, page. They just have different addresses. So keep those in mind. All right. And then one other really exciting news. Matt and Sabrina are expecting a baby. Man, I just love being part of a church family. We get to divide each other's pains and share in each other's joys. And man, this is some exciting news. They've told me that even though they already have a child named Luke, they like me so much that this next child, boy or girl, will be called Luke as well. So I just, uh, you know, it's going to be confusing at their house, but, you know, I appreciate it. It's, it's so, so touching. So touching, guys. Thank you. All right, let's jump in because there's no way I'm going to get through all of this if I keep talking about this stuff. All right, we are in a series called The Gift of Suffering. And so what we've been talking about is, and really like this whole series to me is about where we have to talk about sometimes things we don't necessarily want to talk about. Um, it's fun to come to church and to hear these engaging, exciting stories that are about how great you are and how awesome life is. But also, like, let's just be real. There are moments in life where we have to talk about the dark stuff that happens and how do we address those moments and how do we get through them, right? You sometimes need to hear the things that maybe you don't want to talk about. Like, for example, yesterday morning, I woke up and uh, we got an old Nintendo. Uh, so like old school Mario, 8-bit pixel thing. That's the only video game system my son knows. And I'm sitting on the couch with Tyler 
and we're playing games. And he's, you know, it's one of those touching moments where, like, he's right, right next to me. He's got his arm wrapped around me. You know, like, you just you eat those up when they're little because you know those moments are going to be rare when they're older. And he's, he's patting me right here. And he goes, that's kind of funny, Dad. And I said, well, what's kind of funny? He goes, it's kind of like Jello. <laughs> he's like, you know, like, it's kind of hard, but not really. And I'm like, thanks, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. I guess daddy needs to work out, right? I mean, it's these things that are real. We try to ignore them, but sometimes they just need to be shared with us, unvarnished, so that we get right. And so as we talk about suffering, I want to kind of set the table for you that we remember what God's word instructs us about times of suffering. And so we've had these three verses that we call the keys to the series. And so with the keys to the series, these are kind of the three verses I hope you cherish. You put them into your heart, you put them in your mind, and these get kind of set in your toolbox. So that when you're going through moments in suffering in life, you'll pull these truths back out and they will help you give the right framework, the right lens to see the moments you're going through. And so the first one is found in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All right? And so the point of this is expect suffering. It's like I've told you before, you guys should have the mentality of going through life like a boxer. Right? If a boxer gets into a ring, he's not surprised when he gets punched in the face. He's a boxer. That's what happens. He gets hit. And so when that punch comes and he takes that blow, he doesn't look around and go, what happened? My whole view on life is thrown aside. I don't know what to do next. In fact, he's sitting there and go, I've trained for this. I expected this. I know how to handle this. I know how to counter this. And so you and I need to make sure as Christians, we have that perspective when it comes to suffering. We do not expect that this life is smooth sailing all the way through. We expect there are going to be moments in life where we suffer, whether that's health, whether that's wealth, whether that's people intentionally in our lives causing pain, it doesn't matter. We expect there will be dark days. And so we have that mindset that they could come our way and we're ready for them. Now, the promise is, is what comes in truth number two. And this is in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against this devil's schemes. And so what this is telling us is the beauty for you and me is, well, every human being will experience suffering. You and I are uniquely equipped because we have God in our life, because he has put our, his spirit in us. When you and I go through suffering, we are in a different place. Well, everybody else who doesn't have God has to get through suffering in their own strength, in their own wisdom, and in their own might. You and I don't have to rely just on us. We have a God who has equipped us for those moments. He has long before you entered that time of suffering set aside everything you need to leave that moment victorious. So we know it's coming. We know we're equipped. And then the third truth is, is what we just said. There is purpose in suffering. So in Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so this is probably the biggest one where you have to shift your mindset. If we have grown up in America and we've grown up in this culture, a lot of us are geared towards that success in our life is about comfort and ease. Right? We want to be comfortable. We want to have an easy path. We want to have smooth sailing in our life. 
Well, if you are a person that is motivated by having comfort and ease in your life, then suffering is the worst thing in the world for you. Because when a season of suffering comes into your life, you see that only as the pause of everything you're pursuing. Right? If it's just about comfort and ease, when pain or suffering shows up, you feel like your whole life is off track. And so in those moments, what those people tend to do is just wish and pray for suffering to end as soon as possible. Just please let this end. What you and I need to realize is, as God's children, you and I should have a completely different focus in life and very different goals of what we're trying to accomplish. Right? We are God's children and we are his instruments, which means we're not here for comfort and ease. We are here to, one, have an intimate relationship with him. So whatever needs to happen that draws me closer to him, that's good. Whatever brings me closer to him, that is good. And let's be real, and even in our human lives, we've seen this, right? Have you ever seen where times of pain and suffering actually have brought you closer to the people you love? Right? I've seen people who actually, one of the biggest blessings has been is that their family has kind of splintered apart, and then some tragedy comes in and it pulls them all back together. Right? They realize the things that had divided them, that had separated them, were small. They, they, were, they, were, pity, they were petty. They were things they should let go. But only in the perspective of that something bigger happening did it bring them back. And so when we have that perspective of, if suffering brings me closer to Christ, great. Second, you and I have a mission. Right? We know that we have a kingdom we're waiting to go to one day. And God has given us a mission to help spread his love throughout this world. So what we also know is sometimes the place that we can shine his light the best is in the darkest places. And so for you and I, what we should realize is, is when God brings us through a season of suffering, that may actually be a phenomenal opportunity for us to be used by God to do his work and to accomplish his will. And so where I really want to see us acting differently is, is well, the worldly folks may look at suffering and go, please just let this end. Get me out of this. I would hope our prayer in times of suffering is, God, what do you want to teach me in this? And God, how do you want to use me in this? And you keep me in this as long as you need me to be here. If you need to be me here for years, keep me here for years. As long as I'm next to you doing what you've asked me to do. That's the mindset that a Christian has in suffering. Now go ahead, let's open up our Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's going to give us some insight into things that you and I should be looking for and focusing on in moments of suffering. And I think this is so important for us to understand that context, because let's be real. A lot of us in the moments of suffering, we're not our best selves. I was talking to the kids about it a little bit earlier in youth group, and like, what I find a lot of times in my seasons of suffering is, I may start the day kind of like I start most days, but it takes a whole lot less to get me to my less pleasant places. Like, you're kind of living on the brink, right? And, and it's one comment, it's one action, it's one thing that goes wrong that all of a sudden sends you kind of into crisis mode, where you're not your best self. You know, where you're, you're less patient, you're a little bit more angry, you're a little bit more upset, you're right there on the brink. And so what Peter's saying to us in this book is, hey, I know you people are going through a tough time. 
But just because you go through a tough time, that doesn't mean that people aren't watching you, that you still aren't God's children, and there still isn't an expectation for how you behave and for how you act. And so he starts to center us here on, in chapter 2 on what you and I should be focusing on. He says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the world, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And so look at that, right? What he's saying to you and I is, is that the first thing is we respond to suffering with what? With the word of God. And this is where we're unique as people. It is human nature to reciprocate behavior. Right? So if somebody walks up to you and goes, you're an idiot, normally the natural reaction of you is to say what? No, you're an idiot. Right? I mean, like, if you want to experience this, just go to the toddler room and let them start talking to each other and cutting each other down. It will not take long for it to just turn you into name calling, right? Half the time, you don't even know why you're name calling. It's just like, you said I'm an idiot, so no, you're an idiot. Right? Do you remember the classic one my favorite was, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you? Oh, that was a good one. I love that one. Right? You, you want to reciprocate behavior. You punch me, I punch you. You call me a name, I call you a name. You're mean to me, I'm mean to you. And what Christ is saying is, hey, in times of suffering, because you're in pain and hurt, the natural reaction of most of us is to cause pain and hurt in others. Like, let's just be real. Like, have you ever had those moments where you're in pain and hurt and you see somebody happy and they're just so annoying? Like, you're miserable, and they're just walking around like life is amazing, and you just kind of want to wreck it. You're like, really? Really? Let's talk about life, all right? There's this natural desire in us to often bring people down to where we are. And what Christ is saying is, guys, in times of suffering, that's not what we do. I know that this envy will be there. I know that you might have a desire to be deceitful. I know you might have a desire to act the way that you've been treated. Don't. Don't. And I think it's beautiful that he says that, right? We're human. It's not like God's sitting here going, no, I don't expect you to be tempted by that. No, God goes, like, you're real. This comes your way. You're going to want to do this. But don't. Instead, instead, what I want you to do is in these moments, instead of acting like the world, you need to hunger for God's word. I love it. He says, like, newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that it may grow in respect to salvation because you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. So here's what he's saying. If you and I have ever seen God, if we have seen the beauty of Christ, what it should create in us is a desire to be in his presence more and more. Have you ever had those moments in your life where, like, you, you experience something new and you may not fully understand it or get it, but you're like, I want more of that. I don't know how to get there necessarily, but what I just experienced, I want more of that. I need more of that. That's what he's saying your desire for the word should be. And this, to be honest, is what's concerning for, for a lot of pastors and for a lot of churches today is modern American Christians are just really bad at using the Bible. Like, I'm amazed at how many sermons on TV where, like, the Bible doesn't even pop up. You'll hear like 35 minutes of my self-help psychology and a couple verses to help you that support my thoughts. That's not helpful. 
No man has wisdom he can give you of eternal value. The value we have comes from the almighty word of God. And what you and I should have is a taste not for inspiring speeches that make me feel good for five minutes, but for the eternal word of God that cuts through to my heart and equips me to live life differently. And man, I can tell you, I, I love this analogy of a newborn baby. I have one in my house. That little girl wants her mom and her milk for all kinds of reasons. It's not just when she's hungry. It's when she's hurt. It's when she's tired. It's when she's sad. It's when any discomfort has been put upon her. Anything that sets her off, it is mom's milk that brings her back. Is that how you are with the word of God? Is that how you are where you wake up in the morning and you need that word? You will get that word. You will spend time in that word. I'll be honest. I think sometimes in times of suffering, we actually go less to the word. Right? I'm stressed. I'm busy. I'm tired. I've had so much going on. I just don't have time today. I just don't have time. That is Satan keeping you away from the solution of your problem. That is him knowing that where you should go to solve your problems, he wants to keep you away from it as much as he can. You got to hunger for that word. You put off the behaviors of the world and you dive in to the word of God. That's what he's telling us we need to do here. And it's important. Scripture backs this up. Look at Psalm 119. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Brothers and sisters, if we're in a dark valley, what do we need? We need that light. In times of suffering and pain, often the problem for you and me is we can't see very far. Right? Like if we knew, like I only got to make it through this for another two days. Man, if I, I only got to make this for another week. That would help a lot of us get through those things, but we can't see. All we know is right now I'm enveloped in suffering and pain, and I don't know what it will end. God says it is his word that is like your light in that moment. It gives you comfort. It helps you see. It gives you hope that you can keep taking steps forward. Kind of reminds me, like, have you ever been at middle of the night and the electricity goes out? Like, you can't even walk around your own house without running into stuff. So what do you end up doing? Nothing. You just sit there. Because you don't want to run into stuff. When you can't see, it shuts you down. But it is the word of God that is your light that helps you keep moving forward. Not only that, but look at what it says here in Hebrews 4. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So not only does the word help me see, but really what this does is it, it cuts through the junk. Because let's be real, who do you lie to the most in your life? Yourself. You lie to yourself about your motives. You lie to yourself about your justifications. You lie to yourself about what you really want to achieve. I mean, have you ever done this? Have you ever not prayed to God about something because you actually don't want to know what he's going to say? Or you actually already know what he's going to say, but you think, like, if you don't talk to him about it, then you can be like, well, I could plead ignorance. The only problem is he's God, so he's heard that whole conversation in your head, so he knows the game plan. So it's not like you're going to get to heaven and be like, well, I, I'd never talked to you about that. If I'd known God, he'd be like, I heard you planning that out. So for us, the word is so important because what it does is it just cuts through all the junk and it shows you the truth. 
It shows you who you really are. It shows you what you're really going through. It shows you what you really need to do. And so what God's saying is, if you're in the dark valley, alone and scared, you need the light and you need the sword. So get into my word. Get into it. And what I'll tell you guys is, to be honest, you need to be in it all the time because here's why. You don't want to train for the game once the game starts. Right? Like, the wrong time to train for a marathon is when the gun goes off and it's time to start running. If the first jog you've gone for is the day of the marathon, you're not going to make it. You have had to have been prepping for all that time so that when that season comes, you're like, I'm ready for this. You're not going to get warning that seasons of suffering are coming, which means you need to be prepping and training and building for them so that the day they show up unannounced, you go, I'm ready for this. I've been prepped for this. I know how to use the word. I understand its truth, and I'm ready to take it with me. All right, let's keep going through. Look at verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this contained in scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to the doom which they were also appointed. Now listen to this, this is key. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in this thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So let me break this down, because there's a lot there. First off, he's saying, in suffering, be holy. And remember what that word holy means, right? It is used in Scripture to describe this characteristic of God where he is different and above and purer than everything else. But often when it's talked about you and me, what it's saying is, be separate. Right? If the whole world's here, the holy people of God are pulled out of that and are set aside for the purposes of God. You ever do that with special things, right? You set them aside. Right? It's like, hey, here's all the dishes, but here's grandma's china. Right? That doesn't get used for Friday night pizza. Right? That gets used for something special. That gets used something unique. That's used for special moments. What God's saying is, just when you go through times of suffering, don't be like the world. You're mine. You're always mine. I have shaped you. I have built you. I have saved you. I've equipped you. I've empowered you for my work. Don't ever be used for the things of this world. And in times of suffering, that's when you tempt yourself to just give up. Be a little lazy. He's saying, in those times, it's then, more than any, that you need to be his people. 
Be holy. And what he's reminding you of is, brothers and sisters, a lot of times in suffering, what you and I lose is our sense of identity. And here's why. A lot of us have learned to identify our thing, ourselves by the ways of the world. I just go talk to people about who they are. And often if you ask that question, what you'll get is things like their job, how much money they have, where they live, what clothes they wear, what cars they drive. We have learned to define ourselves by temporary material possessions. The problem with that is because they're temporary, those things can be taken from you at any moment. So when you identify yourself by your job title, what happens when you get fired? What happens when you get demoted? What happens when that department gets shelved and put away? Your whole identity was built in this one temporary thing, and now it's gone. Who are you? You don't know. And so what God's saying is, remember, in times of suffering, while your body may hurt, while your money may be taken, while your freedoms may be infringed upon, while these temporary things of the world may have been taken from you, it doesn't change who you are. You're still exactly who I said you are. You're still my people. You're still my people who I've saved. You're still my people that I have a purpose and a work for. Who God says you are, the co-heir of Christ, the brother and sister of the Lord, his child, his servants, that can't be changed by any amount of suffering. And so the first thing you and I should have is, is even in those times where it feels like we don't know what's happening, I know who I am. You can't touch that. And in fact, that's the beauty of being a Christian is that with God, the most important things in your life are in his hands. No one can take them. You know where your eternal salvation is. You know you always have his love. You know you always have his identity that he has given you. The world can do its worst. It can't touch those. It's why Christians really should have that kind of mentality, like bring it. Bring your worst. You can't touch what is most dear to me. And not because of who I am. Because my dad's taking care of it. It's like the ultimate little kid thing of like, your dad can't beat up my dad. It's just with us, we're actually truthful in that. Send anybody you want at him, he's not backing down. That's the mentality that we have to have. And so in suffering, because you have that identity and you know he's there, you still act like his children. You still act like his children. And in fact, I tell you guys, it's more important in those times of suffering. Like, let's be real. If you go to a nice party, everybody's happy. But when you go to the chemo center and somebody's happy, that stands out to you. Because there you're like, wait a minute. Here, there's nothing from the environment that should make anybody happy. Why are you happy? Why are you joyous? It's those things that wake people up and actually give you the opportunity to be the light in darkness. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right, so that whole speech he was given about the cornerstone, what he was saying is, guys, you're not alone in this. Christ, his son, was rejected. But it is upon that rejection of Christ that all of us have been built. So when we get rejected, when we get persecuted, when we go through suffering, it puts us in good company. 
It puts us right there next to Christ. And just like he went through that, you and I are put next to him and built up by God the things that were rejected to be a holy place, to do holy work, and to do the things of God. And so God's really challenging here the Corinthians like, hey, remember who you are. And don't act like what you are can be broken by anything of man. You're God's, he built you, and he's not letting it crumble. There's a bold confidence he wants us to have in these moments. And look at Hebrews 12. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So there's two things about being holy and suffering. One is, you reflect in that suffering the strength and power of God. And when I am able to stand firm in the times of suffering, what I reflect is, my God's unflinching, my God is unbelievably powerful. The second thing we do is in those moments, we help other people see God. And to be honest, that's our job. We're the body of Christ, right? That's what he says. He's the body of Christ. He has chosen the you and me's of this world to reflect him. And what he's saying is in these dark times, that's where you get the best opportunity to do that. It's why, in fact, he encourages us, encourages us to be joyful in times of trial. Why? Because if my job is to help people see God, I may actually be able to do that better in times of suffering than in times of peace. And so I rejoice that I'm being given an opportunity to do what I've been called to do. So we start to see a framework, right? I'm in suffering, I stay in the word, and that encourages me to what? Keep being holy. Third thing, rise above those that cause the suffering. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave to God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only, listen to that, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So a couple things he's saying there. One, for the people of First Peter, the reason he's addressing the government is for a lot of them, the pain and suffering they were going through was for the authorities that ruled over their communities. They were being persecuted by their government. And so notice that, right? Being persecuted by them, and what does he say? Still submit to them. Even though they're the ones bringing suffering, I want you to still submit to them. Why? Because you rise above the institutions of this world. I told you this before, right? Uh, especially in this environment we're in today with politics, everybody acts like the whole world ends, whether you're Republican or Democrat. 
Like, the election's going to swing the fate of the country. Look, I'm not saying that your politicians don't have a power and authority, but here's the one thing I know. Whoever sits in that White House, God is still God. His power doesn't grow or shrink based on who's sitting there. And what he is going to accomplish in this world doesn't change because of the temporary institutions of this world. And so what Peter is saying to these folks is, don't get dragged down into the weeds. Rise above them and realize you serve a God who is above these things. Yes, he's given you freedom, but what he wants you to do with that freedom is use it to honor God, to love people, and to show people that there's a better and different way. And so what he saw was riling up in his people was is that there was this, this urge to rebel, this urge to overthrow. And what he was saying is, look, I need you to believe that God put those people in power for his reasons and for his purposes. You may not see them. You may not understand them. But God is asking you to submit because you trust in him. Not because you trust in them. Because you trust in him. And through that, it will allow others to see that you are rising above and acting differently. And so what I want you to see about this, brothers and sisters, is there is going to be the natural urge in your life when you are suffering and hurting, especially when that suffering and hurting is intentional. Right? Like, it's one thing to say, I got sick. Right? It's like one thing to say, hey, my company got shut down and I, I now have financial strife. It's another when people intentionally, with evil intent, select you and inflict pain upon you. And so what I want to make sure you're clear on is those two scenarios will unbelievably different. God expects the exact same mentality. Right? Look at Christ. Christ's suffering was not, oh, hey, it's a bad world we live in. Christ's suffering was people with hate in their hearts went to murder him, torture him, and ruin his reputation. Even in those times of suffering, this is how we respond. God is calling you out of that to rise above it and to be different. And it's such an important thing for you and I to take to mind. Because it's often in suffering that we justify not being different. Look at Luke chapter 6. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, be different than this world. What good is it if you love the people that love you? Everyone does that. That's not a strange love. The worst people in the world still love the people that love them. You want to wake people up? Love the people who hate you. You want to wake the world up? Sit down at night and pray for good things to happen to the person that is causing you pain. Pray that God blesses them. That God fills their heart. That God does wonderful and amazing things in their life. That's what we should be. That's love. Right, remember this, folks. Love is not me having positive feelings for you. Love is me joyfully choosing to sacrifice for your benefit. Let me say that again. Love is not my, me having good feelings about you. Love is me choosing to joyfully sacrifice for your benefit. 
Meaning I could sit there and I could be so angry at you. I could have no positive thoughts. But if I'm a loving person, I go, I will still do something for you that benefits you. And what we need to realize in this, brothers and sisters, is what Christ is really getting to is power. If somebody can come into your life and inflict pain on you or take things from you and it changes who you are, what power have you given them? You're allowing that person through their actions to dictate who you are. What Christ said is, you can't ever change me. You don't have that power. I am love. You can stab me. You can nail me to a cross. You can curse me. You can hurt my family. And you know what I'll still be? I'll still be love. You can do anything in this world that you want to do, and it won't change for a second that why I'm here is to love you. You aren't powerful enough to make me what I'm not. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'd encourage you to take some time this week to look through it. In Luke 23, you just see Christ on the cross acting in a way that has shaked the whole world. I mean, if you want to ask me why Christ is the most influential person in the history of mankind, it's because of what he did on that cross, not just from defeating death, but the way that he behaved shook the world to its core. Having been tortured, breathing his last breath, having been ridiculed and mocked and at points of unbelievable exhaustion, you just go read the words of him on that cross. He looks at the people who have spent years trying to destroy him, who are overjoyed that he is dying in front of them, and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You understand that? Like, that's not him after the fact, after he's been resurrected, after the pain is gone, going, you know what? Out of the moment, I now forgive you. I understand you, you didn't see things the right way. I, I pray for peace in your life. This is in the moment. Him looking at them going, Father, please forgive them. They don't understand. In the height of their disobedience, in the hottest flame of their hate, he looks at them and goes, I love you. And I pray that my Father forgives you. He looks at the criminal on the cross who had for hours been ridiculing him and only in the last final moments of his life asked for mercy and he goes, I promise you, you'll be with me in heaven today. Amen. While dying, still saving others. That's what God wants you and I to be. If he on that cross going through that pain can save those things and we're his children, then we need to go through times of suffering looking like that. We need to go through times of suffering, not going, woe is me, but going, you know what? In this moment, God will power me, he will equip me, and I will continue to be his light and to be his love. Do not give power to this world or the people of this world to change who God has made you. You are his. You are his holy people. Don't let anything change that. When you have a power like that, it gives you a confidence to face anything this world throws your way. And I'm not telling you it will be easy, but there will be a peace in your heart that you know the most precious things can ever be taken from you. Let's go to the word in, Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. 
the love that he has given us each and every day. For the example that he set for us, Lord, in a life of unbelievable suffering. That even when the world throws its worst at you, you can still be a person of joy, of peace, of love, and hope. Father, I pray that you'll be with those in this family that are going through their seasons of suffering right now. I pray, Lord, that as they're in them, that they will hunger for your word and that your word will be their light and will be their sword. I pray, Lord, that in the times of suffering, that they will still be holy, set aside from the world, reflecting you, God. And I pray, Father, they will rise above those that hurt them, knowing that, Father, they have a hope in eternity and a purpose even in the darkness to love you and to love others. Father, we trust you. We know that you bring all things to good and that you have perfect timing. And so our prayer, Lord, is in times of suffering that you will use us, that you will shape us, and that you will draw us closer to you. Father, I pray that for those in the room that don't yet know you, that, Lord, that they will just reach out to you. That they'll just pray to hear from you. Because I have complete confidence, Lord, that if a heart is open, you will speak to it. And once they've seen your goodness, they'll never want anything else. Father, we love you. And in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come forward. I'm going to ask uh, Brother James to be in the back. And just if there's anything on your heart that you want to pray about with somebody, feel free to come up or go back. Uh, we will pray with you. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, seek us out afterwards. We'd love to talk with you, answer any questions you have, or pray with you if that's what you need. Maria?
Very well. Congratulations, Dane. Glad that you're here. Congratulations on the wedding. All right, so before we close, I'll, I'll wrap up with praying for them. I'm just going to remind you of a couple things. One, VBS this week. If you're going to help out, stay for about five, ten minutes. We'll meet in the fellowship hall and just get on the same page. Two, you are God's children, and he has given you a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Use it. You have a mission, go out there. Those are, that's your mission field, right? You don't do church in here. You do it out there. Go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Let me pray for these newlyweds, and then we'll head on out. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for bringing love to these two people. It's such a beautiful thing, Lord, to remember that marriage is something you created from the very beginning of time. You created it before sin corrupted this world. It is, it is something we get to be part of that is just beautiful, pure, and awesome. Father, I pray that you'll be with these two, that you'll let the love for each other keep growing day in and day out. I pray, Father, that through that love, they will also know what it is like to be loved by you and to be used by you. I pray, Father, that they'll have safe travel back to Germany. And I pray, Father, that you will just pave a path for them that leads to a life of fullness, of love, strength, and power. Father, thank you for letting us share in this joy. Thank you for what you've done in these two hearts. May you guide them and guard them. We love you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week.